Grab your Bibles and uh, find your way to 1 Timothy. And as you do that, um, I want to express my appreciation as well for uh, my in-laws, Tim and Jenny, who were here and um, got to witness firsthand through the years of their journey and uh, seeing them follow Christ fully and uh, in Tim's uh, battle with Parkinson's the last several years, um, could have had a pretty uh, understandable and easy reason to just step back and, uh, and not pursue, uh, continue to pursue what God had called them to, but he has persevered in that, and uh, in that has been a testimony of just uh, following Christ even in hard things, and uh, so grateful for that, thankful for their ministry and uh, your support of them. I also want to just comment real quickly here on uh, obviously what's been in the news the last several days in regards to the nation of Israel, and uh, it is our belief and understanding through the word that God has a special place in his heart for the nation of Israel, Uh, those to whom he has chosen to reveal himself, grateful that in his plan and design he's... uh, Uh, welcomed we as Gentiles as well into uh, that relationship with him, correct? And uh, thankful for that grace and mercy. And, and, uh, you know, as we think about things in general in life, we know that uh, whether Palestinian, whether uh, Israeli, whether American, what we all need is Jesus. Amen? And we are all sinners in need of of a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. And so we pray in that regard and uh, certainly... um, our hearts are, are with those who are hurting uh, in that uh, going on right now. Well, we've been in the study of the book of 1 Timothy. We uh, have acknowledged it as a instruction manual of sorts, and as uh, manuals go, uh, they can be dull and dry and boring. I pray that this has been anything uh, but that for you as we have examined God's design for the local church and uh, really has given us some good things to uh, ponder uh, as to how we, as what's called Crossroads Church, a local church context, um, function together. Uh, Paul began by warning uh, this man named Timothy, who he left there to put some things in place and to guard things. He, he uh, you know, warned Timothy of these false teachers that had begun to infiltrate the church and the truth of the gospel, which had so radically changed Paul's own life. He had entrusted to Timothy and said, now here, guard it and, and proclaim it. And so many things we've looked at as far as responsibility together and how we function. Uh, the central theme of the letter we looked at last week in chapter 3, which is in regard to Paul saying, hey, here's why I'm really writing is so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. So that's clear instruction for us. If this, These aren't just things to believe, but these are instructions for us that ought to have real practical implication in how we function together corporately as a community of believers, how we live out our faith individually uh, in our life as well. And so uh, in today's text, Paul returns to what he has already established as a point of great concern, false teaching and its effect on others. So I'd like for us to read together the first five verses of chapter 4. If you don't have an English Standard Version there with you, these verses will be on the screen. I'd like for you to read out loud with me 
what we're going to unpack today. Here we are in chapter 4, verse 1. Let's read together the word of the Lord. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Father, we ask that you would give to us wisdom from your spirit as we now study your word, uh, Lord, give to us insight and understanding um, that only you can give. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, in verse 1, um, Paul says to Timothy, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some, not all, right, some will depart from the faith. I don't believe he is referencing one specific message of the Holy Spirit Instead, I believe he's reflecting on the consistent message of the Spirit throughout the prophets and Jesus himself, the disciples. In other words, the consistent message of the Spirit, who was the one who empowered all of the authors of the Word of God to uh, write and, 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 and to, to share exactly what God desired for us to have. Right, All of the message of the Spirit is that in these later times, some will depart from the faith. The first question we have to ask as we seek to understand the, the text here is what times is Paul referring to? Some believe he's referring to a specific time in which we'll, there will be kind of a large departure from the faith. But what I see here is that the word times is plural, so it's most likely referring to multiple times or a season of time, right? a length of time in which some will depart from the faith. These he refers to as later times. Another way that Scripture defines these days he's speaking of, I think, would be called the last days. I believe those days are here upon us. They have been present. We've been living in the last days or in these later times since the ascension of Jesus into heaven. These are the last days. It's also referred to as the age of the church. The next step, we believe in God's timeline as we think about the end times or the eschatological aspect of our faith and belief of our faith is that there will be the rapture of the church, followed by seven years of tribulation, followed by a thousand-year literal reign of Christ upon the earth. In other words, the age of the church, or however long it lasts, right, however long it does last, these last days are that which ushers in the beginning of the end. What we do know is in these later times, or in these last days, that there are both trouble and triumph. Both exists. Jesus promised that true believers would be persecuted for his namesake. We are to expect suffering, Jesus taught to us. We are to expect trouble. In the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, he says this, understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. And certainly we see that around the world. 
An aspect of this trouble that exists is the constant stream of distorted teaching about Jesus specifically. Now, if we not only go back 2,000 years to what Paul and Timothy were experiencing, but if we go back just a matter of 200 years, we see this kind of constant stream of challenges to what we see and understand to be a biblical understanding of who Jesus is. Mormonism, for example, in the early 19th century sprang forth and began to teach things other than what we believe the scriptures teach. Jehovah's Witness and Christian science religions in the later 19th century, all of these claim to be Christian, yet distort biblical Christianity, specifically in answering the question, who is Jesus? If we fast forward then a bit to the 1950s and 1960s, we have the unification church that came into existence. Uh, We have the Church of Scientology, L. Ron Hubbard. He combined science and religion to build a religious movement. And my understanding is Hubbard eventually began to teach Jesus that he was a, about Jesus, that he was a fictitious person. So not only did he distort the view of who Jesus was, but even began to teach that Jesus is actually fictional. So all of these religions, right, have some measure of claim to understanding the truth and promote themselves as religions. Some of them even calling themselves Christian religions, yet they don't believe in what we see as biblical Christianity. Other branches of liberal theology have sprang up over the years, the social gospel, Uh, These things are a constant challenge to the true gospel. Again, what Paul and Timothy were facing in their day is, we understand, no different than what we face now. These last days, these later times, people have been deceived by these teachings. And we've seen some depart from the faith, as is referenced here, to follow these religious systems. Thankfully, as we heard testimony last week from Chanel, right, who grew up in a Jehovah's Witness context, uh, has seen what we believe to be the truth about Christ. And she gave testimony of that last week. So this, this, this kind of constant battle within the age of the church, or within these later times, we see of understanding who is Jesus. This is uh, true here because of the confession that Paul mentioned in the end of chapter 3, we looked at it last week in verse 16, great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness, that he, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, he was vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory, right? That's the crux of what Paul is addressing here as this false teaching that not only was present in their age, but is present in ours. So in the midst of the trouble, there is also glorious triumph in these later times. Everybody say glorious triumph. Say it. There we go, right? We have trouble and we have triumph. We are the church of the living God, as we examined last week. There's wonderful glory in that. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus tells Peter and others, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God does not promise an easy road, but he does promise eternal glory. I was thrilled last month to read one of the reports from our missionaries, whose name I won't mention because of the part of the world he he ministers in, is very delicate, and 
He began his letter by noting challenges and difficulties, civil war and persecution of believers and earthquakes and flooding, all of those taking place within the region in which he ministers. But then he went on to state some amazing facts to celebrate, as he calls them. Let me just read for you what he wrote. So far in 2023, our staff have shared a face-to-face gospel message with more than 38,000 people and seen more than 9,000 indicate a decision to come to faith in Jesus. In addition, through our digital strategies, more than 1.5 million people saw or heard a gospel message online and 23,000 indicated decisions and started new believer follow-up. Quote, people are open like never before, right? So in the midst of a world in which we experience trouble and we see it and we may be disturbed and discouraged by some of the trouble that we see, friend, there is also glorious triumph that is taking place through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is a beautiful thing. Sat and talked with another missionary friend of mine. He's not one that we support, but he was in the area and had dinner with him. He's a gentleman I met in Berlin eight years or so ago, and I was able to be there for a gathering of pastors, and he spoke of what's happening in Ukraine, and he said, as sad and heartbroken as it is, and as much as he's engaged in caring for people in the midst of that context, he said, it's like the, the, the diaspora, the dispersion of believers from Jerusalem in the first century, he's like, in the midst of that persecution, he's like, man, this has sent believers all throughout Europe. Ukraine was one of the strongest locations of the local church before the war started. And since then, since people have have spread, he goes, what they're doing is they're taking the gospel with them throughout Europe. And it's amazing to see, right? God working his glorious triumph in the midst of trouble both exists in these last days, in these later times. We'll spend opportunity talking more about the last days um, next year, my desire is in January, we uh, spend next year journeying through the book of Revelation. And uh, so we'll, we'll have more time talking through that later, all right? But the later times, Paul says some will depart. This departing is not a new concept in this letter. In 1 Timothy, in chapter 1, verse 6, Paul has already mentioned certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion In verse 19 of chapter 1, he says, By rejecting sound doctrine, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Today, we speak in terms of people departing from the faith, and a common term used now is deconstructing their faith. People who have at least heard the gospel, even shown some adherence to the gospel, have begun to walk back their faith and deconstruct their faith. This faith, again, is that which chapter 3, verse 16 confesses of who Jesus is, as the scriptures declare him, God in the flesh, not just some fantastic man who lived in the past, who even elevated, was elevated to the measure of godhood, right, because of his acts and so forth in his career. That's not Jesus as declared by the, no, Jesus, God in the flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That he is the exact representation of God walking among us. That God in his grace and his mercy said, hey, you have a deep need that you can't take care of yourself. So I'm going to go to the full breadth of extending my love for you. And I'm going to send my son, God in the flesh. The one through whom nothing was made that was made, right? I mean, God in the flesh. 
Don't anybody try to deceive you that Jesus was just a good man or a great teacher or a wonderful prophet. He was God in the flesh who came. Perfect God, right? He could not be a man because what we needed in our, as our substitute for our sin is a perfect sacrifice. And the only perfect sacrifice would be God himself because all of humanity has been infected by sin since the sin of Adam and Eve. So this departing, it's not new. People deceived, discouraged. Some debate, are these people who have lost their salvation? Or are they ones who simply heard the truth and, and then left the truth, having not an authentic uh, salvation experience with Christ? It is my conviction, based upon the Scriptures, that God the Father keeps and seals those who belong to Him. That one cannot lose their salvation. It is not our works that earn our salvation, nor is it our works that keep our salvation. We are kept in Christ. So I don't believe these are ones who have lost their salvation. They have ones who have witnessed the work of God among others. They heard the truth of the gospel. Yet because they had devoted themselves to the teaching of others, they departed from the faith. So should we expect to see people depart from the faith? Those who maybe even gather among us in these later times, these last days? Yes. Sadly, yes. Should we do everything we can to prevent it? Yes. And it grieves us when we hear or know of people who have departed from the faith. So how do we guard that? How do we guard that in our own lives? How do we guard that in the lives of others? Let's talk about what we are to do by seeing what those who departed did. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Now the Spirit expressly says, In later times, some will depart from the faith. How did they do that? By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. The departing was deviating in doctrine. Belief, not just no longer gathering with the church, but they were believing something entirely different. Those who departed opened the door of their mind and heart to deceptive spirits and false teaching. It reminds us that spiritual warfare is real, right? My mind kept coming back as I was thinking through and pondering the text this week. My mind kept coming back to the, these two words, by devoting. Devotion in our life. Friend, what you devote yourself to influences your mind and heart. This is a clear reminder for us of that. They devoted themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. I want to encourage us today to be sure that we are devoting ourselves to the teaching of the Word of God and to what is of the Spirit of God and not of the spirits of this world. So just pause and ask ourselves, what, what are you devoted to? As you think about your life, who are you devoted to? What voices do you allow to speak into your life most often? For example, what, what podcasts do you listen to frequently? What social media influencers do you perhaps follow? What, what books do you read? What types of books do you read that, that obviously you're reading are filling your mind and heart with, with thoughts? And not only thoughts of, of what's happening, but, but thoughts of, of influencing 
your, your values and what you perceive in life as true. What news channels, what television shows, what movies, and so on. We, just, we have to be honest with ourselves and pause and ask ourselves the question, what, what am I devoting myself to? What am I devoting my thoughts to? Who am I devoting my thoughts to? And what influence does that have in my life? In my 25 years as a pastor, the times I have seen people drift or depart from the faith, it often can be traced back to a time when they began listening to people who have no foundation of the gospel or a distorted view of the gospel. Those who tell them what they want to hear rather than what God has said. There's three kind of avenues most often that I see. One, people who are engaged in some manner of sin and they are looking to justify that sin rather than do the hard work of repentance. Oftentimes they will drift or depart from the faith. Or those who become disillusioned with life and begin searching for an understanding of God that better fits their experience and or feelings. This is true when we begin to listen to other voices. It's true, I think there's a caution for us, and I also see this as a wonderful blessing over the years, but there's a danger in it as well, is the emphasis placed upon one's personal story, personal experience. It's great in the sense of it's wonderful for us to be authentic and to be real with what we have experienced and to be open about that. And I think in the church, we've done a much better job of listening to one another in the midst of that. But, but the downside of that, the danger of that, if we go too far with that, is that we begin to let our feelings or desires or experience be superior to the God's will. Right? That our experience becomes what we chase after. Our feelings becomes what, what drives what we do and what we believe. Rather than understanding all of that and submitting that which is true of us and what is going on in life and the reality of what we have, all of those things, and, and, and taking all of that and, and asking the question, how do, I, how do I submit all of that and process all of that in accordance with God's will, which is revealed in God's word? And not just letting our experience or our personal feelings drive our life. So some have drifted because of that. Or they become so intensely focused on one aspect of God's character that it led them to eventually become discouraged, either with disappointment in themselves or God. This is the danger of what is the common teaching and referred to as the health and wealth gospel today, which builds really a foundation in one's life that God owes me something in return for my faith. That God owes me something in return for my giving or whatever it may be. That, that, that God, owes, friend, God owes you nothing, right? I mean, what we need to realize is as true with the gospel message, as true with the rest of life, anything that we have is a gift purely of God's grace and of his mercy, the very breath you breathe today is a gift of God's grace. So our, our giving to God or our service to God is not so that God will somehow bless us in return. That's not to be the motive of our giving. It's out of gratitude and out of thankfulness for his grace and mercy in our life, right? But, but there is a teaching today that is a false teaching that leads people down this, this uh, avenue of disappointment 
Right? If I pray for healing and God doesn't heal because I expect God to heal every single time, then, well, it's disappointment with self because my faith must not be great enough. Right? Or somehow God is letting me down and not fulfilling what he has said. See, these, these teachings that we can easily fall into following and devoting ourselves to, we must be very discerning and careful. Because we have an enemy who is the father of lies and is seeking to kill and destroy. John chapter 8, Jesus said to those who were listening, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Great question. Here's the answer. It is because, listen, you cannot bear to hear my word. You are, your, you are of your father, the devil, and you will, uh, your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. It does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You see, we have an enemy who is constantly lying. He is a liar. And he's seeking to deceive you and discourage you and, disra- and derail you. And lead you to a point of departing from the faith. These that Paul is referencing, they were deceived by opening themselves to false teaching and eventually devoting themselves to, to that false teaching and believing the lies. Demonic teaching, right? The source was demonic, although it was carried out through human effort. What does it say there in verse 2? That they devoted themselves to through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. These were the false teachers, those who could teach what was a lie because their conscience had been seared. What is a conscience? What does it mean to sear your conscience? A conscience is this. A conscience is, as the Bible describes it, a God-given moral compass instilled in every person as a gift of God's grace, right? So believer, unbeliever, Christian, not Christian, doesn't matter. God has instilled in every person as a bearer of his image, right? We are all created as as an aspect of bearing his image. God has instilled in us a conscience. The Greek word here means a moral awareness or a moral consciousness. It's an internal, innate guide meant to direct us toward God and what honors him. Kind of that dashboard warning light that, you know, shows up in our life when, when uh, something is wrong. When you ignore the warning light long enough, what happens? You find yourself in great trouble, right? That's a conscience. The conscience, because the conscience exists, because God grants it to us, this is why we as humanity in general can have any agreement on what is good and what is evil, That's why both Christian and non-Christian look at what's happened in the last week, right, by Hamas and have been able to identify, that's that's wickedness, right? That's evil. There's agreement in that. Why? Because there's a conscience that God has granted to us. Paul refers to the conscience as a witness in Romans chapter 2, verse 15. Speaking about the Gentiles who, without the law, right, they weren't Jews who abided by the law. So Gentiles without the law, they, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them, the conscience. 
Our conscience bears witness to the presence of God's law. The conscience in the scripture often referred to uh, positively that we are to pursue a good conscience or a clear conscience, a conscience free from guilt. Conscience is mentioned four times in Timothy. You may have noticed it already in chapter 1. It's mentioned twice. In chapter 3, it's mentioned once. Here in chapter 4, verse 2 is the fourth and final time that it is mentioned. And Paul says these false teachers were liars whose consciences are seared. Now, when we hear the word sear, most often we think like steak. You sear the steak to lock in the juices, right? I mean, it's a good thing uh, to sear. This searing is not that enticing or appealing, right? It's like the burning of skin with a branding iron. Kills the nerves, right? Leaves the skin thick with a scar that becomes insensitive to feeling. That's the searing here. Consciences have been seared, have become numb, insensitive to the truth. These liars that Paul is referencing have seared their conscience in a way that makes it possible for them to lie, to teach what is opposed to the truth of the will of God. I believe it was Adolf Hitler who once said, right, one of the greatest liars of all time, who once said, if you tell a big enough lie and tell it frequently enough, it will be believed. The conscience will be seared. This is why we must be careful of what we devote ourselves to. You see, our value system is influenced by what we devote ourselves to. Our value system informs our conscience and either heightens its sensitivity to right and wrong or sears it, leaving our minds and hearts wide open to sin. A few months ago, I don't remember exactly what precipitated it, but the Spirit put on my heart to begin to pray, Lord, awaken our conscience as a nation, right? Because believer, unbeliever, right, as much as we want the gospel to go forth, we want people's lives to be truly transformed by the power of the gospel, we can also pray, Lord, awaken our conscience as a nation, as a people, restore it. Awaken us to what you have instilled in us as your image bearers. Maybe the Lord would lead you to join me in that prayer. As born-again believers, we know also that we not only have a conscience, but we also have the Holy Spirit. That's part of the promise of the gospel, right? When you come to faith in Christ, when you are born again, the Spirit of God dwells within you. And He is our comforter, our guide, our teacher. He's the one who convicts us of sin. And just quickly, as we think about the role of the Holy Spirit, we know we have a conscience of which we can sear it. And we also have the Holy Spirit, the one who guides us, teaches us, convicts us. But the Scripture teaches us we can also quench or stifle the work of the Spirit in us. We can sear the conscience and we can quench the Spirit. Two clear warnings for us as believers to be very mindful and careful of what we devote ourselves to, the influences in our life. Now, these false teachers who had deceived others 
we're teaching a couple of specific things that Paul draws forward in verse 3. He said, they forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Right? Forbidding of marriage, we know, of course, God ordained marriage from Genesis. So they were teaching against what God had ordained. The requiring of abstinence from certain foods... We know in Genesis chapter 9, after the flood, God said to Noah and his sons, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. And so they were teaching in a way that was opposed to what God had ordained. They were requiring abstinence from certain foods. And Paul says this is not correct. So for them, that was the issue of the day. He goes on to state the truth then in verse 4 and 5. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayers. Made holy by the word of God. In other words, what God has ordained, what God has spoken as truth, right? What God has, has permitted us to, to participate in and to benefit from in his grace Absolutely right. It's been made holy by the word of God and prayer. Why prayer? Because prayer is an aspect of our discerning uh, aspect of, of what is accordance, uh, in accordance with his word. Right. We are to pray. We are to seek the Lord. And what is discerning? God, what is, what is that, that matter of how does our conscience enter into that? What is right and what is wrong in the midst of life? Friend, listen, following Christ, I, I'm more and more convinced of this. And I don't know if this is the clearest way to say it. But just from my heart, I want you to know more and more as I study the word, Word of God, as I as I, I uh, you know serve among God's people and witness what God is doing, is the the Christian life is a constant process of discernment and wisdom. I don't know how else to frame it. What we like and what we want so often is like the list of rules. <laughs> like just give it to me. What's a yes and what's a no? And, so, and God has clearly done that in some regards, right? I mean, there are, there are clear examples of things prohibited by God for believers. But there are also matters of discernment and of conscience. When we, we don't have the time today, but when we turn to Romans 14 or 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the, the, uh, there are mentioned these matters of conscience, particularly for them, this that was the issue of meat sacrificed to idols. Right? Could we eat meat sacrificed to idols? And we can get it, you know, even though that's not necessarily a, a specific piece of our cultural challenge today, we can like, okay, like, yeah, if you're, if, you're, if you're killing something and offering that meat to a false idol, is that meat then something Christians, Christ followers, should eat? And Paul goes into that. He's saying, hey, listen, this is a, it's a matter of conscience and discernment. Some of you have determined, absolutely not, I should not eat that meat. Some of you have determined, yes, if I receive that meat with thanksgiving, right, uh, noting it is from God and of God and not of this false idol that it's been sacrificed to, if I rightly understand the, the source and the purpose of this meat that God has given to me, then yes, I can eat of that. You see the difference here? And those are matters of conscience, the Apostle Paul says. And we need to live as brothers and sisters in Christ in this community of believers that we are called to. We need to live with grace and with love toward each other in those matters. 
being willing to set aside what I think might be my right or my permission to engage in with God for a brother or sister who maybe thinks otherwise and, and vice versa. And so we, we live in this, right? We're, we're coming up on one of these, and I'll probably, I, don't, I didn't mention this in first service, so I might come back to it next week if you're in different. But anyway, we're coming up on one of those things where, like, a matter of conscience, right? Halloween. Uh, did I say that word in church? I did. I mean, in the church, we have difference of opinions. And it's a matter of conscience. As we've discerned whether or not we should engage in that. Now, what is clearly prohibited is we don't engage in that in celebrating the evil and the wickedness that is often identified with it. Right? That is what is clear. Is it okay for us to dress up our children and take them around to houses near us or whatever in and, and costumes that are uh, ones not aligning with evil and wickedness and all of that and, and, and celebrate with a heart of thanksgiving what God has given and all of that as we emphasize it. Can we do that? Yes. Should we have understanding of that together as we have difference of opinion? That? Yes. These are matters of, of conscience and loving together as living together as brothers and sisters in Christ um, with understanding and with grace and with love. All right, here's how we want to finish. So let me walk through this quickly. What are the, the components that bring devotion or that, that ought to be part of our devotion? A few things here, right? The Word of God, that ought to be a consistent and constant in your life. Prayer. The Spirit communicating with our spirit, recognizing God has granted to us His Holy Spirit to live within us, that communicates with our spirit, that there's this sense of, of this, in, in, in conjunction with the conscience, right, that God has granted to us the ability to discern right and wrong. Godly counsel from others, seeking that accountability and transparency together. Right? Those are just some of the components of devotion we could talk about that, man, are these things present in my life? So here's how we want to finish. And I know we're pressing time a bit. I went a little bit further into some things than I uh, anticipated. But we're not going to sing with the song. We're going to end with prayer, right? A few weeks back, Pastor Colin mentioned uh, part of Timothy's, uh, Paul's focus of Timothy is, is that a healthy church is identified by the presence of prayer. And so we're going to give you opportunity to pray today to finish. And, and we are a bit pressed for time. I don't like the clock. But anyway, um, as we do that, right, we want you to, we encourage you, if you're willing to do this, is to gather with a few that are around you, even somebody you may not know. It's all right. Just introduce yourself. Give them your name quick. Don't have time to tell them your life story. But just, hey, yeah, you know, here, my name is Scott. And and uh, so we'd love for you to, or maybe you want to gather as a family. Maybe it's okay if you just want to sit on your own and, and have this time between you and the Lord, that's fine too. But here's three things we want to pray together. Lord, strengthen us to remain devoted to your word and discerning your truth. Right? Strengthen us to stay devoted. Awaken our conscience in conjunction with your Holy Spirit and help us follow truth. Right? You can add wholeheartedly there if you want. Number three, humble us to have accountability among one another to persevere in the faith. So th those are just three things as examples of what you can pray for. And uh, 
this seems abrupt, but I'm just going to pray. I'm going to, I want you to gather. I want you to pray, and we're going to finish our time together and make our transition time uh, a time of prayer, all right? Um, let me pray for you, brothers and sisters. Father, we thank you for this truth. We thank you for um, uh, these matters of, of uh, discernment. Lord, we identify the significance and importance of contemplating and always being mindful of what we are devoting ourselves to, what we are allowing to, to fill our minds. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, give us wisdom in that. Lord, may your conscience be awakened in us if any of us have seared it. Lord, help us to listen, not only to our conscience, but to listen to the presence of your Holy Spirit. And may we follow in faithfulness and obedience to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.